When we think of the ministry of Jesus, we think of all the big things, right? We think of, of the big moments, his baptism, maybe the messages that he preached, the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, the miracles that he performed, his death and resurrection. We think of all of those moments, but I want to make sure we understand the fact that the ministry of Jesus was people. And in the midst of all that he did, every message he preached, every miracle that he performed, the goal of that, the purpose of that was people. And when we walk with Jesus in our minds, in these stories, we can't help but notice as you read through particularly the Gospels, they were the first four books of the New Testament. You had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every author related the events of the ministry of Jesus Christ from a different perspective. And as we read through these stories, some of them are repeated over in different gospels. And as we go through them and kind of try to put ourselves there, you can't help but notice occasionally these devoted, faith-filled, anonymous women who followed Jesus. And we're in this series called Hidden Heroes. And we can't help but include the women who followed Jesus in a series like this because they were certainly hidden and behind the scenes. I believe this, if women wrote the Bible, we'd have a lot more information than we currently do. It'd be like much thicker than this right here, wouldn't it? Like it would be full of so much good information, you know, what they ate, what everybody was wearing, how it impacted people, what they were feeling. But I'm so grateful to God that he would occasionally just insert a little tidbit here and there, a little, a little view of the interactions that Jesus had with these wonderful women in the New Testament. They don't say much, and they're not given much page time. But they were there. They were hidden, woven into the stories of the New Testament. I know this, that these women were unlikely followers of Jesus Christ. If you look at the cultural restraints of the day, I want to give you some background because the, the, the centuries that have occurred from first century Middle Eastern culture to today, 21st century Western culture, it has really softened the way we view what happened in those days. So, so listen to some of these cultural aspects that these women would have had to deal with. First century women were put just a notch above livestock. A woman was considered property, first of her father, then of her husband, and then if she bore a son, his property after she was widowed. A woman's opinion didn't matter. They were not allowed to eat in the same room with a gathering of men. They were not taught the scripture with men or to enter the inner court of the temple to worship with men. In fact, each morning a Pharisee would pray this prayer, thanking God that he had not been born a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. You see what I'm saying? Like we, when, we, when we look at what happened and how Jesus treated women and then later New Testament writers where, where we're commanded to love our wives and all of this, 
in one generation, Jesus Christ elevated the role of women in Scripture. A respectable Jewish woman was kept confined at home, hidden from view. In public, women were not allowed to speak with men, nor men allowed to speak with women, even to acknowledge his own wife. Unless visiting family or attending certain religious feasts, traveling by women was considered devious behavior. And it was assumed there were impure motives involved. Respectable men didn't give women the time of day. The disciples, maybe you know the story, like the, the disciples were grieving over the death of Christ. And when the women who discovered that Jesus rose from the dead went to go tell the disciples, they didn't even believe them because they were women. I'm not trying to discourage you, really. I'm, I'm really just trying to give you an understanding of what it was like in those days because culture is hard to overcome. But here's what I love. Jesus went out of his way to speak with them in broad daylight. Like that was scandalous. Like that would have made the front page of the Jerusalem Times or the, the Galilee Gazette. It would have been all over Facebook. <laughs> I've been waiting all week just to say that right there. You're welcome. It's the only thing you're gonna remember today, I know. But, but he welcomed women to his side. Like he interacted with them on a way that was culturally unacceptable but very much how God was. He was supportive and considerate and caring of women, especially those who needed help the most. Jesus even taught in places where women could have front row seats, like hillsides, like marketplaces, like a well where he could speak to a woman directly. He used illustrations that women would understand, like a lost coin, like making bread from yeast and going to a neighbor's house to get something to feed a guest. He used illustrations that would directly relate to women. Many of his recorded conversations were with women, and many of his miracles put women front and center of the story. I believe Jesus did that on purpose. So is it any wonder that these unlikely women followed Jesus? But is it any wonder that we don't hear much about him? Each one had a different Jesus story, a personal story to tell. Just a few of the ones that we are made aware of, of course, was his own mother, Mary, followed him throughout his Ministry, Mary Magdalene, who had been healed of seven demons, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, Mary, wife of Cleopas, probably Mary's sister, Salome, the mother of James and John, Joanna and Susanna, and then the Bible just says often many other women. Each one of them came from a different place. Each one of them had a different connection with Jesus. Some were family, some were mothers, some were wives of his followers. Some were healed by Jesus and became followers. 
What I love here is that we don't have to come from the same place. We can all have a different story, but share the commonality of Jesus Christ. And what I love so much is that Jesus can use your story to reach other people who have a similar story. Your story is different than mine. And there are people that you intersect with and interact with on a regular basis that will connect with your story that can then help you connect, with, connect them with Jesus Christ. And so we all have different stories here. We all have kind of like this winding path to Jesus that maybe didn't start out the way that you had anticipated. But here we are. And with the folks that we have in a room like this, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of different ways that you came to know Jesus. And he knows right where you are and he knows right where you came from and he, want to takes you and, he want to, and he wants to take you where you need to go in relationship with him. We don't have to be the same because Jesus is who brings us all together. In Luke chapter eight, the first three verses, we have some kind of an insight here, some, some mentioning of these women. It says this, it says in verses one through three of Luke chapter eight, now it came to pass afterward that he, being Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. These are the ones that we're familiar with, his 12 disciples. Verse two, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, married, called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Verse three, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward and Susanna and many others who, and this is very important, provided, the King James Version says, ministered for him from their substance. So what I want to notice, like these people, these women were affected by the ministry of Jesus and the relationship they developed with him, but they did more than just kind of listen to him speak. These women served Jesus and his disciples. The impact of the relationship that they had with him caused them to do more than just passively listen. They felt the urge to follow him. That means that he disrupted their lives. They, he interrupted their routine. Whenever you have a meaningful relationship and a meaningful encounter with Jesus, he disrupts your life. Because you can't continue living the same way if you've had a meaningful life change because of Jesus. They went where Jesus went. They listened to his words. He affected their lives and they wanted to do more. The word there that we saw that said that they provided for, the King James says ministered, is the same word in the Greek where this was originally written that we get the word deacon. And it has the idea of somebody serving, like you have a towel on your arm waiting at a table. You are waiting on somebody to see how you can be of service to them. These women followed Jesus Christ around with this spirit of service, like we want to minister to your needs and the needs of the disciple. And then we also see that they provided for him out of their substance. Now you think about this, culturally speaking, where did these women get the money and the, and, the, and, the, and the stuff needed to take care of the ministry of Jesus Christ? I believe they funded much of what he was able to do. Maybe they had a dowry because that dowry was precious to them. If their husband died, that's all they had left to live off of because the society would not take care of a widow. 
She became a burden to the family. So they were willing to sacrifice potentially their dowry to be able to meet the needs of Jesus Christ's ministry and his disciples. We know at least one of the ladies was probably a well-off widow. Her husband had died, left her some funding. And so, so, so she was able to, to, to fund some of that. But these ladies were so compelled to not only minister, but to provide for the needs of Jesus' ministry. And, and, and they were physically serving and they were personally giving. And I just, so like why? So what compelled them to do this? I think that, because here's what, I, I don't think it was out of guilt. Well, you know, Jesus touched my life, so I guess I need to pass out bulletins. I ought to go work in the nursery, right? It wasn't like, there was, I don't sense any guilt here. Like they weren't saying, well, you know, Jesus did change my whole life, so I guess I need, I don't, I don't sense that here. Like there was more to this. And I don't think it was because they were looking for recognition. Like they, it wasn't filled with pride. Like, do you see what I'm doing? I'm really close to Jesus. I'm much closer than you are. Like we're in the inner circle now. Like we are, me and Jesus, we're like tight. No, I don't, I don't sense this. this uh, from, from what I'm seeing, I, I sense humility. Like they were serving. They were always in the background. They didn't get recognition from this. This is the most you read about them. I'm going to show you a couple passages towards the end here. when that's all that we are seeing here. So it wasn't because they were looking for recognition. It wasn't because they felt guilty. I really believe it was a way for them to express their love for this person who changed their life. And I believe that it was a way for them to demonstrate the gratitude that they felt for the investment that he made in them. So I'm not sure where you are with this. Like, like our Western version of Christianity is so self-centered. It's about what Jesus can do for me. It's what prayers he can answer. It's how he makes me feel. Even our music. Like, oh, I like that one. That's my favorite song. That is, that one speaks to me, right? We center, oh, I like that sermon that really touched my heart. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these phrases, but we have gotten used to the fact that this church experience that we have on a Sunday becomes all about us. Rather than truly worshiping God and this incredible Savior that we have, and then learning from his word how to, how to serve and honor him better. Like this sense of gratitude that we should have ought to overwhelm us. Like there's no way we can do enough for Jesus Christ there's no way that we can express our love in such a way that would justify or honor him the way that he should be honored. How can we do nothing when he's done so much for us? That's this sense that I get here. Like, like they served Jesus at personal expense, but happily, they had no title. Like, like they were called followers. That was about it. They had no title. 
They weren't looking for any kind of position or authority. They just wanted to be with Jesus. Like, like I can't go about my regular routine after I have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so they uprooted themselves. They just wanted to be with him and they wanted to serve him. They weren't looking for a title. They did not hope to gain any status. They had no extra status. The culture was still the culture. They didn't do what they did because it would change how others viewed them. And they weren't hoping to somehow increase their value in society because they were closer to Jesus. I truly believe they followed him and served him and provided for him and his disciples out of their love and gratitude they felt for him. They had no promise of promotion. Like it wasn't like this is gonna change society's view of them. They weren't going to become anything that they weren't already. They weren't hoping for anything more than what Jesus offered them. They weren't looking to, looking to be recognized or thanked. They weren't looking to show off or feel important. It's almost like they were just there to serve Jesus, to go deeper in this relationship, to do something tangible to express their gratitude. How are we doing? Like, don't you have an awful lot to be thankful for? Don't you have reason to express gratitude? What do we give back? How can we ever repay? What are we doing to physically serve Jesus? He wants to spend time with you. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to be engaged in a relationship with you. And out of that relationship, wouldn't it be beautiful if we just loved him to the point where we just wanted to do that we just express gratitude and it looked like serving others. That feels so much different than just punching the time clock and coming to church for an hour. It feels so different than being guilted into having to serve somewhere. It's amazing what can be accomplished when Jesus is the focus and not us. So often church and worship and ministry become about us. This is all for Jesus. I would love to see Jesus do a work in your heart this morning. But we do know that Jesus does notice, right? Like he does see and he is involved. There's a story when Jesus was with his disciples and he's watching at the temple, people drop in an offering. They had like an offering box kind of similar to what we have in the back. And I'll be watching this morning to see who puts in what. <laughs> so Jesus is watching the, the offering box and people are dropping money and this little widow comes and she drops in the Bible says two mites. It's worth about a half a penny. And he ribs the disciples next to him. And he says, see that right there? Do you see what I'm seeing? He said, forever this is gonna be told that this woman gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had. Jesus notices what, what's a big deal to us. I love that story. So I asked myself, so what, what was it? 
Like what compelled these women? Like what was it that, that caused them for these years of their life during the ministry of Christ to be disrupted and to just fall in love with what Jesus was doing and what he was saying and who he was? And the word that came to me this week, like I just sensed this, that it was, it was the hope that Jesus gave. So what was it? It was the fact that Jesus gave them hope. Hope is the confident expectation of what is to come. Corrie Ten Boone survived the Holocaust. She was in a Nazi prison camp with her sister who, was, who did not make it. It's, a, it's an incredible story if you ever read the book called The Hiding Place. And she says this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. First Timothy 1, 1 says this, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. And then Paul says something similar in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the source. So we are hoping because we have an expectation of what is to come. It wasn't like their life was great. We've already expressed the fact that their life was not ideal. They heard the message of Jesus Christ and they believed it and that gave them hope, not just one day, but right now. We have hope that dwells within us and that hope in and of itself is what I believe changed their life because they lived in a harsh world with little hope. Hey, I don't think their circumstances improved any. Like the culture had not changed miraculously. They were still living in the same circumstance that they were, but now they had hope. I had a professor in college one time, he told the story about someone, he said, hey, how are you doing? The guy said, well, I'm doing good under the circumstances. And he said, what are you doing under those? Like this hope that we have. And I don't know what it is you're dealing with. I know some of your stories, but Jesus gives us hope. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the ladies that follow Jesus Christ. So imagine how they felt when he was arrested and whipped and shamed and hung on a cross and suffered and died. And these women that followed Jesus Christ were just as frightened and overwhelmed as the 12 disciples, but they followed him to the cross. In Luke chapter 23, it says this, but all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. It says in Mark chapter 15, there were also women looking on from afar among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And they take his dead body off the cross. And it was over. The one they loved, the one they believed in, the one they bought into, the one that they served, was gone. And then three days later, we read the story in Scripture where the ladies 
went to the tomb, like they were going to go with spices to care for the body of Jesus Christ. He'd been dead for three days. Like what was in it? Like what was in it for them? What were they doing? I don't know if they, like they were gonna, by the time they got there, there would be nobody to roll back the stone for them. It wasn't, it wasn't like they were gonna be able to get in, right? So, so why were they going? Did they believe that maybe he would have been resurrected? Like, like they were going with spices to care for his body. Maybe they didn't understand everything that was going on. Maybe they just didn't think the men did a good enough job getting the body ready. I don't know. There's probably some truth there. So on Sunday morning, they marched their way to the tomb. And even when hope seemed gone, these women went to the tomb to serve a dead Savior. They loved him. They were grateful for what he had done in their lives. And they're not going because of what he can do for them at this point in time. They're going because they love him. Because of what he had done for them. So my question to you is this. Has Jesus done enough for you to serve him the rest of your life? Like if he didn't make you feel better today. If he didn't give you your favorite parking space at Target. If he didn't answer that prayer. If he did not do what you want him to do if he if he had already done it all he saved your soul he gives you hope he gives you eternity and if he doesn't do anything else for you from this point on hasn't he done enough for you to serve him the rest of your life i don't know where you are this morning in your relationship with him i don't think there's any mistake that you're here so my prayer for you this morning, if you are a Jesus follower, that you would express your love and gratitude for him in a tangible way. Maybe have that conversation with him, like how can I show you how much I appreciate this? How, how can I express my love to you? If this is foreign to you and you're like, yeah, I'm on a spiritual journey, but I haven't yet made it to mile marker one. Like, I'm still asking a lot of questions here. I don't know what it looks like. Like, I've not made that personal connection with Jesus Christ. I believe this. There is a God-shaped hole in every person's heart and life that only God himself can fill. That's what we were made for was a relationship with God himself. I also know that there is an expiration date on the milk carton of your life. I don't know when that is, but God does. And sometime before that happens, you need to connect with the Lord. Jesus Christ said, whosoever will, right? Whosoever. One of the most famous verses in Scripture, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what I'm asking you this morning. Like, do you, have you, are you a child of God? Are you, have you made it that personal thing? Not do you belong to this church, not have you been coming here for a while, but do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? 
And I can't even explain to you what all that means. But I believe this. I believe that Jesus desperately wants to know you on a personal level. And that he died for your sins. And that he promises that if we ask, he will give. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're going to pray in just a minute. And we're going to give you the opportunity to respond. And if you would like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we'll have folks down here at the front to pray with you. It won't be an embarrassing time. We're going to come forward, take communion together in just a moment. That's going to be an opportunity when everybody is moving. And I would encourage you to go to one of our prayer team and have that conversation with them. But we love you this morning. We believe God is watching. We believe that Jesus Christ loves you, that he sees what you're doing. And I think there's a beautiful truth here about the women that followed Jesus because they loved him, they were grateful to him, and they got hope from him. That's our word of prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this moment in our life when we get the opportunity to focus on you and what you've done in our heart and life. And I pray as these women followed you, as they served you, as they provided for your needs, that we would do the same out of a sense of gratitude and great love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.